Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. How many of you got what you wanted for Christmas? Anyone? Some of you wanted rest, right? Some people are getting their rest this morning. They're not here. We saw that in first service. They're like, that's all I wanted for Christmas. Sunday's my sleeping Sunday. Um, my name is Pastor Chris. I'm so glad you're here. I see we have a few new people in the house even. We're glad that you're with us as well. And I uh, just pray that God would minister to you. This is our last Sunday morning together in 2015. Can you believe that it's come so quickly? I feel like uh, yesterday it felt like not Christmas but Thanksgiving. I mean, doesn't the time from Thanksgiving to Christmas just fly by? That final month. And you could have so many things you want to get done in, a mo- in the month of December. But uh, Christmas waits for no one. And uh, it comes quickly. And uh, before you know it, you're standing on the other side of it, wondering if you even got your shopping done yet uh, for everyone or your Christmas card sent out. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I'm guessing there might be some in a room this size that uh, you wanted to send out Christmas cards, and uh, it's the 27th, and they're still not out yet. (laughs) Right? Come on, uh, someone. You're still waiting. There's someone. They're they're willing to (laughs) to admit it. Uh, Mandy and I, we have like said, since we have had Lily, uh, we want to get ahead of that because everyone's asking to see pictures of her or whatever, so we, we want to send those out well in advance. Mandy sent them out so early this year, uh, we normally wait. We have a pile of Christmas cards, and then we send out ours, and this time we sent them out. We had like one card. We're thinking, well, everyone must have been behind us uh, this year, um, or the mail was taking a little bit longer. Uh, this year, we sent out more than we've ever sent out before. Um, our Christmas card list is growing, and... Um, and we always want to get ahead of it and make sure that no one, no one gets missed out or no one uh, misses. I don't know if you ever get afraid that your mail won't get where it needs to go on time. Um, my brother ordered something for my mom and, uh, and for his girlfriend. And he called me. And this, this was being shipped from China. And he wrote the wrong number. He mixed up the numbers on the address. Don't do that when you're getting something from China that's going to take 10 days. He's emailing them. He's getting something back in a language he cannot understand. Um, and he's like, I think they get it. Well, no, they didn't. They couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't deliver it. He's calling me on Christmas Eve like, man, they, they, uh, they didn't deliver it. They're sending it all the way back to China. And, uh, and I won't get it for like another month or two. So, um, so I, I mean, things getting mixed up in the mail at this time of the year, I think, happens all the time. Things that we've ordered from the church, that will happen with. Uh, we were able this year to do something we haven't done in the past is we sent out a Christmas card from Evangel Church. Did any of you get that? Good. Did you like that? We thought it was a fun way to bless the church, and, um, and we want to keep doing things like that. Well, those cards, they got delayed. The envelopes came at a different time. I mean, the mail can be crazy at Christmas time. Um, imagine with me if you go back a couple decades, or if you go back 100 years, how much worse it must have been. Things getting lost in the mail all the time. Um, I'm reminded of a story about someone that was fighting overseas in 1917. Um, He sent something in the mail, Walter Butler, and it took a long time for it to get to where it needed to go. He was fighting in the trenches, uh, Walter was, in 1917. He was engaged to be married to a a, a beautiful woman named Amy Hicks, and Amy was... um, was waiting to hear from him, just as any loved one would when you have someone that you love that's serving in our armed forces. And one of the only ways, if not the only way for them to really communicate during that time was to send postcards. And so he wrote a postcard, he sent it just to give her that sense of reassurance that he was gonna be okay. Well, Walter sent that postcard and it never made it to Amy. So here you have this worried fiance wondering if her, uh, her, her man is okay, if he's going to be all right, if he's safe, if he's sound, and she doesn't hear anything. Well, months go by, and she's wondering. 
And then she gets notice that he's going to be okay. And then she gets notice that he's coming home. That's always a great message to hear when you have someone that you love that's serving and fighting overseas. Well, he came home. They got married. They had a beautiful little daughter. Her name was Joyce. And Joyce grew up um, always hearing the stories about how dad served and how they were apart and how their love, you know, finally brought them back together. But at different times in some of their conversations, it would come up about this postcard that never came through. And I'm sure that Amy wondered, did you really ever even send me a postcard? You said you did, but, you know, I see how forgetful you are now. Did you really send it or not? And I'm sure that Joyce grew up with a little bit of that story. This right here is the postcard. And eventually, it shows up to this family. The problem was, it wasn't 1917 when it arrived. It was December of 2007. So you want to talk about a postage error or anything that you're upset about that you ordered for Christmas and you didn't receive. Try getting it 90 years later. <laughs> this arrived at this point in time, young Joyce, who wasn't even born for six years when it was sent, was 86 years old. And here's a picture of her holding this card up that shows up in the mail to her that was sent from her father to her, her mother before they were even married. And she's thinking, you know, is there one of those feedback things I can give to the Postal Service about how my letter was? They found it somewhere. I don't know where they found it and how it was lost for that long. But it finally found its way to the one that was meant to receive it. And this just reminds me of, of this idea that there's something that was needed to be communicated. In that point in time, it was life or death. It was something that was so valuable, so important, that needed to be sent from one to another. And something... Something, I can't even quite explain it to you. I wish I could. Got in the way of that and prolonged it for that long for them to receive exactly what they needed. And I think about this letter of someone who loves her so dearly, wanting her to know things and it not getting through. And I think about a God in heaven who loves us so much that he gave us his son and he didn't just give us his son. He gave us what some would call his love letter, his word. And he's given us this word so that we can know him and so that we could follow him and so that we could walk in freedom so that we can experience all that he would have for us. But you know what? There are things that can happen in life that stop that word from getting from him to us. We may have it sitting on our bookshelf. You may have it within your arm's reach at this moment, but you may not have it. Does anyone hear me today? There's something that might be stopping it from ultimately accomplishing what God set out for it to do. And I'm not asking you if you've heard God's word or if you've read God's word. I'm asking if you really received God's word in your life and in your heart. Because it has a, a, the power to change your life and impact your life and lead your life. But there are things that can get in the way. There's things that can prolong it. There are decades that can go by and you may have had it at an arm's reach and it's still not there. It's not accomplishing what God had set out for it to accomplish in and through your life. God's word says, the Bible says about itself, the word of God is living and active. And it has a transformative effect on us because it's God's way of revealing himself to us, his love for us, and ultimately the good news of his son, Jesus, who came and died for us so that we could have eternal life. It's all found there in God's word. And we receive that word. And we're called to receive that word, and that word is meant to have an impact and a changing uh, effect on our lives. Today I want to take some time and I want to explore what might stop and hinder God's word from finding its place, ultimately in our hearts. 
There's a verse that I'm going to end with today, and it's from Psalms 119, and it says that I've hidden your word in my heart. I've treasured it so that I might not sin against you. The place that God's word is meant to dwell is in our hearts and in our lives, and yet there are things that stand in the way of that taking place. So you may know it here, but it may have never translated here. Some will say this is the most, uh, the, the biggest journey for some people is moving from your head to your heart. And it actually taking root there. And so today, as we end 2015 in this last service, my prayer is this, that you would have the best 2016 that God has purposed for you to have. And it will not happen unless your heart is open to receive his word, right? It won't happen unless that takes place. So I'm praying today is a day of breakthrough for some people. I'm praying today is a day where God speaks to your heart, shows you as we look at his word, the areas that he wants to address so you can walk in freedom in all he has for you in the year that's ahead of us. So let's take a look here together in Matthew chapter 13. We're in Matthew chapter 13, and here Jesus is doing some testing of the heart. He wants to get at this very idea of how, how can things get in the way of us, his people, receiving exactly what he has intended for us to receive. During this passage of scripture, he's speaking to the people, and I want to just kind of set, set up where we are. If you'll look at the first part of Matthew 13, starting in verse 1, it says, That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him, and he got into a boat and he sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. So here Jesus is, he's out on water, he's there, he's talking to a group of people that are sitting around him on the beach, and he began to speak to them. Look at verse three. It's up here on the screen. It said, he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road. And the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched because they had no root and they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now Jesus is not there, and he did not gather the people together to give them gardening advice. This wasn't a, you know, home, home, home and garden TV or some kind of thing where he's just giving them very practical advice. He's speaking them in parables, and parables are pictures of the kingdom of God. They're pictures that tell stories about the realities of what they can't yet see about the ways that Jesus is coming to introduce what, what we know as the kingdom of God, which Jesus said is now advancing. And so the kingdom of God, he's telling stories about that, about things that people aren't yet able to fully understand. And they're listening, and they're hearing it, but he's wondering, are they really getting it? Have you ever sat with someone that has heard you talking, but you're not really sure they're getting what you're saying? The same way Jesus is speaking to them. And so as he ends verse 8, he says this statement here. It says in verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. Now what Jesus was really saying was something much more profound than this short, concise statement. When he said those words, Anyone that had read scripture before and had been a student of scripture would have heard the words of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet was one of the greatest uh, prophets to live. He spoke, a prophet speaks the words of God. They're there and, and they deliver on God's behalf 
a word to the people so they can understand God's heart. And so Isaiah the prophet was speaking, and when he was called, we see in chapter 6, uh, right there in Isaiah, he's, he's there in a, in, a, in a vision, he's before the Lord, and the Lord begins to commission him, and he said, who will go for me? And he says, here I am, send me. And that's verse 8. After that, the Lord says to him, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render your heart, the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. So as Jesus is speaking, he says a very short word that points people right back to those sharp words that said, the people of this time, of Isaiah's time, their hearts were hardened. Their ears were not hearing. Their eyes had grown dim. They weren't able to fully understand what God was desiring of them. And therefore, they walked towards destruction and a life without purpose. And they suffered greatly because of their sins and the wrong choices. But in that same word, God gives hope. And he said, otherwise, what they'll do is they're gonna see with their eyes, they're gonna hear with their ears, most importantly, they're gonna understand with their hearts, and they will return, and they will be healed. So today, Jesus is saying this, take an inventory of your heart, and of your life. He's not just saying, do you hear me? He's saying, do you get it? Do you get what I'm saying? Because this has everything to do with the condition of our hearts and our lives and what it means to really have a relationship with him. Jesus wasn't telling a cute story that was to be repeated. He was talking about a kingdom principle that we had to get, and if we don't get it, we can hear it, but if we don't get it, we're gonna miss it. We're gonna miss out on exactly what he has for us. See, for us as a church, we desire to see, our vision is changed lives, changing lives. What that means is, that we as a people, when we come together and we're in God's presence and we experience what Jesus Christ has promised for us, we have experienced a changed life. That when we came, when I came into a relationship with Jesus, it changed everything. How about you? When I started following Jesus with my life, it changed me. I wasn't the same as I was before. In fact, I ran into people shortly after I started following Jesus and they said, who are you now? You're different. And, and I used to get offended by that. And then I thought, no, that's the right way people should be talking. If you come into a relationship with Jesus and you go back to your friends and they're like, hey, you're the same old guy. You're the same old person. You have, well, then what was, Je- what was the purpose of Jesus coming into your life? Especially if you've never moved beyond the wrong choices, the sin, those things that can separate you from God. We are meant to be new and different. The Bible says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. It means we, doesn't mean we go around with a megaphone condemning people or, or, or acting hokey or crazy. What it means is that people should see us. The Bible says they should know us by what? Our love. They should see the transformation that's in us. They should see the joy and the hope that now fills our lives that was not there before. And they should ask a question. Why do you have that kind of hope, that kind of trust, that kind of faith? And you say, it's because of what Jesus has done to me. I'm different. Let me tell you my story. That's, that's the reality. We're a changed lives. And we believe that that has a, multi- a multiplying effect and an impact on everyone around us. In the same way that light has a, an impact on darkness every time it comes in contact with it, we, our lives, are meant to be that light. And everywhere we go, it should be illuminating around us and it should be impacting others. Jesus didn't just call us 
to, to be saved. He called us to be witnesses, right? He didn't just save us so we could be in heaven, but he has called us to be his representatives here on earth. And everywhere we go, we stand and represent him. We're his ambassadors. And therefore, our light is shining. And that should have an impact in changing other lives. Changed lives, changing lives. That's what we're here for. That's why we exist as a church. And that part of our lives being changed, the word of God and the way that we receive it has a direct impact on that, on us living that life that Jesus has called us to, that life that the Son has set us free, that we could walk in. God has some amazing things in store for us. I believe for us as a church going into 2016, for you individually going into the next year, and I I want you to pray this, Lord, I don't want to be in the same place spiritually next year that I am right now. Because some of you made that commitment last year, and guess what? You're in the same place or a worse place today than you were a year ago. And as you're going through that, you're wondering if things ever going to change. And you try to change your surroundings. You try to change all the things on the outside. But here's what the Lord would say to you. Start with the heart. Start right here. And hold God's word up today. Listen, lean in. And say, Lord, what is it you want to change? Let him start with your heart. And as that happens, the rest of the change will flow from that. So we see a picture here that Jesus is painting for the people. He's doing it with his words. And he goes as far as not to have them guess about what it means. I'm so glad some of the parables he shares, he shares them and then he goes on. This one he shares it and then he goes back and he explains what he's just shared so that they won't miss it, so that they'll hear it, so that they'll grasp it. And the first area he does, he's talking about three things mainly. He's talking about a, a sower, he's talking about some seed, and he's talking about some soil. In every part of the story, in every scene that we see here, the sower is the same and the seed is the same. There's nothing wrong with the sower and the way that he's scattering. There's nothing wrong with the seed that's there. It's not that he sowed some good seed and some bad seed. Those things are the same. Do you want to know the only thing that is different and has a direct impact on what happens next? It's the soil, the condition of the soil that the seed falls on. So we often call this the parable of the seeds. It's really the parable of the soils because Jesus is describing four different types of soil. And he wasn't doing this, this wasn't a horticulture class. He was teaching a kingdom principle because there are different conditions to the hearts of man and to the hearts of people who come to hear the word of God. And what he is addressing here is something that's ultimately happening deep in our heart and in the soils of our heart. And today through his word, would we just allow it to shine into us and say, Lord, reveal the condition of the soil of my heart. Where is it when it comes to your word and what you want to accomplish in and through me? The first picture that he shares about is the one that the seed that is cast along the road or along the path. And I have some pictures here from Israel that I wanted to uh, show you for just a moment because I believe that putting yourself right in that place where Jesus would have been standing, where the people would have been walking, would help very much. And so I don't know if there's a picture there of, uh, of a road that you could put up. If there is, go ahead and throw that up there for me. This is a pathway, and this is right in Nazareth. This is where Jesus would have uh, grown up as a child. And you can see there that that pathway has been there, some of them they say for thousands of years you think about this. You have to change your, your walkway, your driveway, uh, the roads go- coming and going from work. They're changing them every year or every minute, it feels like, right? We're always driving through a construction zone. These have been there for thousands of years, and there's no asphalt. It's just compacted dirt. And guess what? I don't see any potholes there on any of those paths. But those paths weren't created 
even by human hands. Instead, they were created by animals, just like this, like a, a, a mule or a donkey. And what they would do is as the people were going to settle in an area, they would release a donkey and they would have the donkey walk up the hillside. And what he would do is everywhere he went, they would follow. And they would always use the same path. They always found the path of least resistance and the easiest way to go. And that would turn into a path. And those paths still exist today. And the dirt has become so tightly compacted, it's like better than asphalt for them. But it also has a, an effect on anything that falls there. Do you know why the path stays the way it is? Because any seeds or anything that falls on it will not grow. Why? Because it's become so hardened. So what's great for a road? A hard, hardened soil is great for a road, but a hardened heart is terrible for your life, right? And the same things happen in our lives. A few people step on you. A few things go not the way that you'd hope. Before long, you were very soft, you were very open to people, you become more closed off. For long, you become bitter, you become hardened, your heart becomes hardened. Things happen in your life where you begin to slip in your relationship with God. You don't put a priority there that you once had. Before long, God's been whispering to you and you felt a level of conviction about choices that you are making and things that you are partaking in. And before long, you ignored it long enough that you're not hearing it anymore. And believe me, when that happens, something good is not taking place. What's happening is your heart's becoming so calloused that it's not sensitive to the spirit and the voice of God anymore. So I'm not just talking to people that you'd say you, you would identify as not being a Christian. Many people read this and they say, well, those just aren't the Christians. No, that even happens to those that at one point in time were very passionate in their faith. Before long, they grew cold. Before long, things that they knew they shouldn't be doing, they're doing. And it went farther and farther and farther and now you don't feel anymore. You feel numb. You feel calloused. You go through the motions, but there's nothing there on the inside. That's a heart that isn't very receptive to God's word. Today, if, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the Bible describes it as your heart's like a stone. It's, it's different. You can have a soft heart. You could cry. You can have that, but the condition of your heart is like stone. And I'm so thankful that another prophet in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, said this, I'm going to take away. This is the Lord's talking through him. I'm going to take away there heart of stone and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. I'm going to give them a heart that knows me. A heart, I'm going to put my spirit inside of them and they're going to come to life. And that's a promise for you today even if you're not following Jesus yet that when you turn your heart to Jesus, whenever you begin to follow him and allow him to forgive you of your sins and you decide that you will be a follower of his, a heart transplant takes place. The old is gone, the new has come. And that's a heart that can now know him and can be sensitive to him and can hear the voice of his spirit speaking to you. But church, we are called in the Bible, in Proverbs, to guard our hearts above all else because our whole life flows from it. And I want to tell you, when you don't take that seriously and you don't guard your heart, your heart can become hardened. The more mishandled it is and the more that it can become even abused, it can become hardened. And it will have a direct impact on your relationship and your intimacy with God because you're not as receptive you're not as sensitive to God's voice as you once were. And so Jesus is speaking here in verse 18. Here's what he says. Hear the parable of the sower. Anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, and does not receive it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom the seed was sown beside the word, beside the road. The word becomes there, but it settles just as it would on a path, just like the path that I showed you. 
Before long, the birds of the air come. The evil one will come. He snatches it away. It isn't able to even take root inside of someone's heart. It's been disregarded. Again, a hardened ground makes a great road. A hardened heart makes for a terrible life. Makes for a terrible life. He goes on, he begins to talk about another condition of the heart, another condition of the soils of the heart. And as he's sharing, he talks about some rocks. Verse 20 says, The one who the seed is sown among the rocky places is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. This is one who receives the word at an arm's distance. For some, they've heard even a distorted message of this word. And they promised them that if you receive Jesus, if you receive him as Lord and Savior, then your life will be perfect. Your credit card debt will disappear. You will be blessed. You will be healthy. You will have everything you've ever wanted. And life will never be bad again. And as they heard it, they received it with joy. And they said, yes, if that's what I'm being promised, then sure, I'll take it. But they only take it at an arm's length. And it only goes about an inch deep. And then when things don't quite go as whoever promised it would go, they quickly run away. The Bible talks about this. Jesus addresses this in another area. He talks about two homes that are being built. One's on the sand and one's on a rock. And it doesn't matter how beautiful. That could be a mansion built on the sand. It could have a thousand rooms. It could have uh, granite everything and golden chandeliers. But I want to tell you something. If you're talking about that built on the sand or a little shack on the rock, when the storm comes, you want to be in the shack, right? It doesn't matter how good it looks because it will come crashing down. He says that's the person who doesn't have that foundation that isn't rooted in. They can't withstand the storms. And I want to tell you that the the faith that we have, our trust in Jesus, it says it is an anchor for our soul. It's firm and secure. Anchors are used when storms come so that you can be batted around, but you're not taken under. You're not cast aside. You're still held there. The Lord holds you. He becomes your anchor. But I'll tell you, your relationship with him has to grow deeper. You have to grow roots. And whenever you see certain parts of Israel, you'd be amazed If you've ever been there, you'll go and you'll see places where there are steps. I have a picture of steps here uh, that are there. And you'd think that these were built. These weren't built. You know what they were? They were carved out of the rock that was right there in the middle of the ground. If you would go in certain parts, you'd see some dirt and then you'd see rock coming up. If you dug down two inches, it's all rock. And so that is not an ideal area for them to grow their crops. They realize that and they know why. As soon as they put the seed in the ground, it gets hot. As it gets hot, sure, it it grows up, but the roots have nowhere to go, and the rock underneath it gets hotter and hotter and ends up just scorching it and killing it. So it's not just that the sun's killing it, it's um, it's feeling the heat from underneath as well, and its shallowness can't sustain it. I want you to know something today. If you have a shallow relationship with God, it will not sustain the life that God has promised. It requires you to have a regular, daily relationship with him. Jesus didn't die so that you can just go to church on Sunday and feel good for a couple hours a week reading his word. He died so that you could have a relationship with him. Jesus didn't come and die so that you can come and listen to a preacher standing on, on, uh, on a platform talk to you for a little bit of time a week and then go, go back to your old life. The veil has been torn down. Your faith doesn't have to be confined in the four walls of this building. 
Someone say, praise God, your worship doesn't have to be facilitated by any of us up here. You have a living relationship with God that you walk in, that you experience. But I want to tell you, if you limit your, your walk with God to only these few hours on a Sunday, your faith becomes shallow. It's not me judging you. It's not me trying to be mean to you. It's me pleading with you. Because there's an answer. Take it another step deeper in the new year. Spend time daily with God. Spend time daily in his word. Spend time daily reading and praying and seeking him, listening to worship music, just communing with him. And I want to tell you, it will take you deeper. And you will find at a time, the more you're spending with his word, that when the storms of life come, the first words out of your mouth are not things that you'd be embarrassed to say inside of this room. The first words that come out of your mouth are God's words about the situation. You say, Lord, I know you're my strength. I know you're my refuge. I know you're my deliverer. Because what happens is the more his word is in your heart, the more his perspective is in your mind, the more you can see the way he has called and created you to see. And you don't become overcome by this world. You become one that can live in the midst of it. You say, Lord, I don't care how big this storm is. You have calmed every storm that ever came your way, including the storm of death that put you in a tomb. Lord, on the third day, you rose and you overcame even that. There's nothing that's impossible for you. You need to be reminded of that. You need to be able to hold on to it deeply. So allow God's word to go deeper in your heart and in your life. Do that work daily. Discipline yourself daily to spend time with him and you will see that grow more and more and more but a shallow faith will not sustain you. It won't sustain you through the trials and it won't even sustain you through the, the regular bumps that we go through in life. We get to the, the third type of, so, of soil and it says that it's the seed that's sown among the thorns in verse 22. This is a man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. I've been to different some, a few different parts of the world, and I've seen um, weeds, but I've never seen weeds like I've seen in Israel. They have some scary weeds in Israel. And the problem with them is they're actually, they are deceitful in nature. I, I have a picture here. If you just go back, you could see this thing. This thing looks beautiful from far away. Do I have a far away picture of a bunch of purple flowers? Yeah. Those things look pretty nice from far away. You say, oh, that's really beautiful. And then you get close, and this is what it looks like. And then if you touch it, you're saying, ouch, because those are all thorns coming out of it. These are called thistles. So whenever we talk about the thorns and the th thistles, I can't even say it very well. It's because I'm so afraid of them. <laughs> You'll see them. They'll be beautiful. They'll be purple or yellow. And you could go and say, I'm going to bring a bouquet home to mom. Nope. Nope. Cuts all over your hands. It's deceiving. It's beauty. And I'm reminded, even as we think about our lives, there are things that seem so beautiful to the eye. And the closer you get and the more you spend time with it before you know it, you have thorns in your flesh, you have cuts and you have blood that you didn't even notice. And that which you thought was so beautiful and so captivating and something you focus so much attention on is actually hurting you in the end. Jesus talks about it, he calls it the deceitfulness of wealth, the deceitfulness of chasing after things in this world, thinking that they matter most. What he's saying here is that that plot of land that ultimately could have received the seed had already too many other things growing in it. And that seed and that which God wanted to produce there in that place, that which that seed was intended to produce, life, was choked out by the other things that it had to compete with. And I want you to know today, Jesus isn't here and he didn't die to compete with all your other priorities for first place, second place, third place, fourth place. 
Jesus is this, he's first, he's Lord. If you call him your Lord, not just your Savior, it means he's first. If he's first, that means he's above those other things. And those other things are subject to him, not the other way around. He's not subject to your schedule. Your schedule should be subject to him, right? He's not subject to your finances. Your finances are subject to him. He's not subject to your time or your talent or your availability or anything else. Those things become subject to him. Lord, I look to you first. What will you have me to do? That's what it means to make Jesus Lord of our lives. We love having him as Savior. Many of us don't really want him as Lord. We don't live like we want him as Lord. It means he's not going to compete with other things. He says this, you can't have two masters. You're going to hate one and serve the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't bow down to both. You're going to be torn apart. And this is what he's talking about here. I've learned this in, in, in my, my garden at home. Um, for the first time, and many of you have heard my horror stories of, uh, of trying to plant things and them not growing or me trying to take care of simple flowers and it not working out well. Well, this year I set out because we had a little patch of land that, um, that was that was great. And our neighbors before us or the people that lived in our home before us, they, they grew some, some great things because I could see all their old rusty tools and fencing. And I'm just trusting that they had a great time in that little plot of land. And so this year I got really gung-ho. Normally when I go back there and look in that garden, there are weeds that are this high. It's like a, a you know, a, a very scary place with trees and all kinds of things growing out of it. I dug all that out. I tilled the soil, put new soil in, put fertilizer, tried to do everything. And then I just went crazy with, plant, with all these crops. I think I had an eight foot by 10 foot area. I must have planted like 100 things in it. I planted all, I planted like 20 tomato plants and, you know, uh, pumpkins and watermelon. And, and no one told me that those things are all going to grow like 10 times the size uh, that they would have. And you know what I learned really quickly? Uh, that all this stuff is not going to grow. Things just started dying. Uh, and it was dying because, like, you only have this much space and you try to, to grow enough that I, I could have, you know, tilled up my whole yard. It just isn't going to work. And so then what I tried to do is I tried to expand the borders and then dig stuff up, but half of it didn't last. It isn't going to be transplanted, moved around, all those things. It, it wasn't it. I was trying to do too many things and it was competing for the same space and it wasn't going to work. And then I watched how the weeds would come as well. And just because I dug them out at one time didn't mean they wouldn't come back if I wasn't watching daily, if I wasn't spending time daily, if I wasn't over it, those things could come and then they would take over. And so, I mean, what a picture, right, of our lives and of the soils of our heart. Just because you said yes to Jesus and you said no to sin at one point in your life doesn't mean the weeds aren't gonna keep trying to sprout in your life and come and lead you away. And it doesn't just say the deceitfulness of wealth and these other things in this world. It says the worry in this life. This worry can just choke out your life. That you're there and you're, you're just so worried about the things that are going on in and around you. And that worry becomes crippling for you. It leads to fear. It's very hard to have worry and really say that we trust. Because do you realize that trust and worry are at two completely ends of the spectrum? How, how, how like deceiving would it be for you to be like, hey, I trust you, but you just live worrying and worrying and worrying that's ever going to get done. Evidently, maybe the trust isn't where you thought it was because the worry is consuming you. Jesus said this, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Cast those things upon me. What it means to have faith, it means we have an active living trust in the Lord. Even when we don't know how things are going to turn out. And that trust, that faith in him, doesn't mean that we can't be concerned from time to time, or even that worry could, could, could grasp us. But you know what we do? We take that worry and we place it right back in his hands. Lord, you know I'm worried. My heart is racing, but I trust you. 
And every time you're trusting, you're handing over your worry to whatever it is that you're trusting in. You're saying, I'm not going to be worried like this. I'm not going to be gripped with fear about it. I trust you. I put my faith in you. The worries of this life can just cripple, but you know what? The answer to that is you put your faith wholly in Jesus and you separate yourself from all those other things. You dig them out. You get rid of them. You make room for him and for him alone. And when we do that, when we do that, it changes everything about us. It really does. Jesus said, this is the one. You can have your life choked out of you or you can allow Jesus to have that first place. And when those weeds are removed and when the stones are gone and whenever the ground has been toiled up that was once hard, you have what would be called good soil. In verse 23, Jesus describes what happens in this good soil. It says, the one whom the seed was sown in the good soil is the man who hears the word, who understands it, who internalizes it, who stands under it and indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30 brings an amazing harvest back. And that's what God can do in your life if you've allowed the soil of your heart to be open and receptive to him. But I want to tell you something today. You alone know the condition of your heart. Have you treasured God's word? It says in Psalm 119 verse 11, I have treasured your word in my heart. It's your word there that I have stored it away in that way so that I might not sin against you. That the more we treasure God's word, the more we cling to his word, the more we hold on to him, the more he can set us free from the, so, the many things that will drag us down, the things that will hold us back, the things that will mess with our heart and our life. But again, only you know the condition of your heart. And don't use yourself as the gauge. You use God's word to ultimately reflect what's going on inside of your heart and your life. My wife and I have been doing some things around the house, and when we purchased our home um, some years ago, we knew that there was a, something beneath the surface that we had never seen with our own eyes, but we knew it was there, and it was an underground oil tank. And I hear you, I hear you. You know where I'm going. And we knew that this thing was there. We knew that it would be an issue for people. We knew it was an issue when we were buying the house and it would be an issue if we ever sell the house. And we knew one day we would just need to deal with that thing. And um, if you've ever had an oil tank, you know it's a, you know it's a coin toss. Is there a leak in that oil tank? Because if there is, you're in big trouble. If there's a leak in that oil tank and oil has been getting out, it's contaminating everything around it. And if it is, then what happens when they find that is they need to dig up and it's called remediation. And they need to change out the soil. And they need to trans, because all that soil is bad now. All of it has been contaminated completely. And depending on how far reaching that is, it could reach up to fifty dollars or $100,000 in remediation costs to your yard, your neighbors, the water system, all kinds of things could be contaminated and impacted because of it. Well, I'm thankful that our, the people before us had insurance for it. We have insurance for it. Um, but Mandy and I realized this is the year we're going to deal with this thing once and for all. We're just going to pull it out of the ground and see what's going on. So we got ready and everything in me was like, no contamination, no issue, nothing. You know, I just trust there's nothing going on. And they pull it up and we're looking all around it and, and they don't quite get it out of the ground yet. And I'm feeling like it's great. And there it comes out and there's a pinhole leak in it. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, how bad can that be? And they said, no, it's contaminated. I said, just for a pinhole. I said, yes. And as I could see all on the bottom sludge and all through the dirt there. And even at a very small rate, they said, man, so much of the dirt has been contaminated around it. And they said, this is actually interesting because 
the hole got plugged back up years and years and years ago. So it wasn't that that was a continuing flowing leak. They said the oil that's here is 30 or 40 years old, but it's caused so much damage. And I just got a picture as we were looking at God's word today that some of you, whenever you really look at the condition of your heart, you see soil that's become contaminated with sin. And even as you take a look at that, you can begin to feel hopeless. That you've allowed something there under the surface. You did not even want to really acknowledge how bad it was. And you really thought it was fine. Same way I thought everything was fine for years. Because I wasn't seeing any issue on the surface. But I want to tell you something. When you take an inventory of your heart and you allow God's spirit to speak and his word to reflect, you'll, you might see something ugly. Something that scares you. Something that feels hopeless and beyond return. And here's what I want you to know. That for that very reason, God sent his son. And when the Bible says that we are a new creation in Christ, it means this. He takes all that bad, contaminated soil out of our heart. He casts it aside. And he gives us something brand new. And that comes through his grace and through his forgiveness and by the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ, which forgives us of our sins and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And so today, you don't need to be overwhelmed and hopeless over the state of your heart if you're seeing it is not where God would want it to be. But hear me today, if you turn to him, if you turn to him with everything you are, if you lay yourself at the mercy of God, I'm so glad that he will never hold that over your head. Instead, he'll receive you as his son, as his daughter. He'll cleanse you. He'll redeem your life. He'll heal you. It doesn't matter what happened to you. It doesn't what happen, matter what happened through you. It doesn't matter what you've been walked through or what you've willingly done. It doesn't matter if you've said a prayer a thousand times to accept Jesus and have fallen into sin. In the name of Jesus, there's healing and forgiveness and power to change your life. But I want to tell you something today. Today's the day of salvation and today's the day to deal with it. Don't leave it buried another day. Don't leave it under the surface for another moment. I'm just believing today as we end 2015, let's end it with freedom. Let's end it being changed. Let's end it with healing in our hearts. Let's end it with a brand new beginning for 2016 so we can experience all that God has for us. I'm just believing that God's word is spoken. And I'm believing that he wants to call us to a place of response today. And so would you stand with me in this house right now? And I want you to bow your heads and bow your hearts. And I want you to take an inventory of your life. And these moments, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to invite you. I'm going to open the altars, and I'm just going to invite you to come. Because I believe that this is a far-reaching message. And I believe there's some, you've been going through the motions for a long time, your heart's become hard and God needs to set you free. There's some here, you're battling bitterness and it's, it's growing in your heart and it's hardened and God just wants to soften that in his presence today. Today, some of you, you have other things that are competing and worry that's crippling you and Jesus just wants to set you free in his presence of that. Today, for some of you, you have been contaminated, you feel it. And today, in the presence of God, you could receive his mercy and his grace. You don't even need to come and pray with someone, just come before the Lord yourself and let him do the work that he can do. So right now, whatever it might be, if you just know, Lord, I need you to come and do a work in me. I want you to come and work in my heart. I want you just to come. Just come to this altar right now. Don't even hold back. Don't even wait. Just come, kneel, stand, wherever you'd be. Come on, the altars are open. Anyone can come right now.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, would you come and would you meet with us today? Lord, we don't want to be in the same place a year from today that we are today. Oh, Lord, we want to experience the transformation that your word promises. Lord, would you make us sensitive to your voice again? Lord God, would you come and would you work? Lord God, regardless of the condition, Lord, regardless of what's happened, Lord God, Lord, we just want to experience all that you would have for us today and every day moving forward. So come and minister to us, we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Brian, we sing the sons and daughters. We're going to sing out this chorus that we ended our worship time with. And I'm just believing this will be a time of God embracing you as his child. And today, you don't have to feel ashamed. You don't have to feel embarrassed. Today, you can feel free in the presence of God to be exactly who you are, not as you're, who you're pretending to be. And God's going to meet you with his grace and with his mercy. Sing these words from the bottom of your heart. Respond to God as he's leading you today. Today, if you don't have a relationship with him, Today, if you've never accepted him, I'm going to be standing right over here. I want you to come talk to me. I want you to say a prayer and just invite Jesus to be Lord of your life. But let's spend these last moments of our service all together just responding to God's word right now. Lift your voices or come here to this altar and kneel before the Lord in his presence.